three, episode six, certified is over, but we're just getting started a little late this week talking about the leftovers here on Post Show Recaps. Hello, everybody. I'm Josh Wiggler, and you know, I'm still just too depressed to like come up with some sort of clever introduction, so here's Antonio Mazzaro. Antonio, what's going on? Oh, I am depressed. <laughs> oh, well, that was a bummer. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we laugh. I'm not sure what we expected, Josh. Did we expect this not to be a depressing TV show? What have we been watching? I don't know. But I mean, like, the, the thing is, is that so the, the theme song is different every week this season, right? Yeah, like yeah. every episode, they're always changing it. And Damon Lindelof has been upfront about the idea that the music is meant to kind of clue you in on where things are going in an episode. Yeah. So when you have that cold open the way that you do, and then it cuts to the credits and the song is suicide. It's a suicide. At that point, you're kind of like, Oh no! Please don't be heading in that direction. And ah, it headed in that direction, Antonio. It did, and we'll definitely talk about that theme song. I think there's something interesting beyond the surface level going on there. But uh, but it was uh, we said that the theme song of season two was a mission statement about the show in general, and the mister the mission statement there was let the mystery be. It definitely has been clear that these theme songs are mission statements for these episodes. And yeah, it seemed right from the jump that we were going to get a suicide. And unfortunately, there were so many in play, so many potential ones, and many of them still to come, perhaps, that it was not clear, at least until the very last scene where there's a boat, whose suicide it would be. And yet, here we are. R.I.P. Lori Garvey, right? R.I.P. Lori Garvey? R.I.P. Lori Garvey, at least, you know, for now, it's... Look, is it is it definite that she's dead? I don't know. You know, it ain't over until the fat lady sings is what Will Smith would tell us right now. Uh, but beyond that, the leftovers version of that would be like, it's not over until you see a dead person at an international assassin hotel. So we're going to get to that place at some point soon. And then like if, when we inevitably see Lori there, I think we could like officially call it. But even then, like uh, certainly, you know, I got the chance to interview Amy Brenneman uh, for this. Yes, episode. you did. It's great. That posted on The Hollywood Reporter uh, last night. We're recording this on a Monday. Sunday night was a very, very busy television night for me, so I was not able to record The Leftovers podcast live, which is why we are late. Not because we were in mourning, though we were. Uh, but I got a chance to talk to her, and the way that she talked to me about it really did make it sound like, yeah, that was that was a goodbye to Lori Garvey. Yeah, she said it's a goodbye, and she definitely in my mind, confirmed that uh, that this is not... This was the end for the character story-wise. But I think you're right. I think there's a good possibility we get to an international assassin hotel and one, or unfortunately, more, uh, or more of the people that are involved in these stories will show up. And poor Nora Kevo, perhaps, perhaps Nora Durst, one, one or more Durst, perhaps Matt, uh, we don't know. There's a lot of difficult situations. Just like going everybody on there. is there. And yeah. it's like, oh, no! Not a party you want to walk into, right? <laughs> Right. Yeah. Tommy, what are you doing here? Uh, But yeah, this this could be problematic. This could be problematic. So, yeah, I think we're going to see Lori Garvey again. But I think that the character of Lori Garvey had quite the swan song last night. Uh, We had flashbacks, Josh, to season one material or pre season one material in some respects. We had flashbacks uh, to to many other things that were going on within the context of this episode that set up other things. It was certainly a certainly a lot of business got done with the Lori Garvey character. So, do we have any business we got to get out of the way before we can really get into this? 
Yeah, let's just give you the quick business real quick. Uh, This is, of course, our Leftovers podcast here on Post Show Recaps. We record two podcasts per episode. So this is the first of two podcasts that we are going to record about certified this episode, this Lori Garvey episode. We are going to record our feedback show later in the week. That is where we're going to take your questions, your comments, read them on the air, and use that to drive our conversation about this episode and predictions for the future and all that good stuff. We're going to record that, I think, Thursday or Friday of this week. We're still working at the exact timing. So you've got some time to send in your feedback a couple of different ways to do that leftovers at postshowrecaps.com is our email address we also have a feedback form on our website postshowrecaps.com slash feedback and you can always tweet at antonio and i he's at ac mazzaro i'm at round howard that's really all the business i can muster right now i'm done driving people to the podcast antonio whoever is here is just here for the ride at this point i have a new way you can get in touch with me you can send a carrier pigeon with a message on it <laughs> I you may can, not. I may not. I may ignore that message. I may throw yeah. it in a basket, but you can send it. Uh, you can schedule an appointment, and I will just listen to you and have nothing to say in response. Uh, and perhaps uh, encourage you to kill yourself in a roundabout no. way. Yeah, this no, is. No, we're going to talk about even though it's an R.I.P. Lori Garvey episode. We'll talk about how good of a therapist she really is here momentarily. <laughs> By my count, nearly every one of her patients has killed themselves in some uh, way, shape, or form, like or is going to. This is not a great uh, therapist that we've seen. She's hardly Doctor Freud. Yeah, I'm trying to think of who uh, who who hasn't. You know, who who was a Lori patient that hasn't died? I mean, I guess the person she was speaking to in this episode, who is the the first character we meet on yes. the leftovers. That's the only one. That vigorous baby mother, I think is her name. And that's the only one uh, who hasn't died by my count. If you've got others and listen, the the show still has a couple episodes left. This lady could bite it by the end too. But, uh, but we no, don't really this know. This is just like an Easter egg, right? Like this is just like a fun little connection in sort of like the, the Lindelofian Lostian way of people having these kind of cosmic connections. And it's just like a one-off. We're never going to see that person again. It's just, like a hey remember this person from the beginning of the show here she is again yeah well we saw her in a bar with kevin in season one i, I think it was that had, same episode though. it was I think the that same was- episode so she's slowly killing herself by being a barfly anyway so uh, maybe maybe but yeah this is a uh, Lori garvey therapist probably in need of therapy which is i think a common story that we see that the people who are the healers it's very common on tv for people to be good at their job but fundamentally broken in some way and Lori Garvey was maybe good at her job, maybe not. As I said, we can really suss that out. But clearly, even in that moment when she's talking to that woman after the departure and all of that has happened, she is driven almost immediately to the guilty remnant by that conversation that she has with a vigorous baby mother. So that is uh, that is really unfortunate. Ultimately, everything that we know about the Lori Garvey story when we met her in season one, we never really knew what drove her to become part of the guilty remnant. And now we see the scene that directly leads to this. And I think it's fascinating that in part she went because she was a scientist. She was a doctor. She was somebody who supposedly would know what to say. And she had nothing to say in light of the departure. How do you therapize people in terms of the, is that a word therapize? How do you provide therapy in the context of the departure, Josh? There used to be a bully at summer camp who may or may not be listening to this podcast, in fact, and he became an incredible person. Uh, but he used to be just like a total jerk, and he would have people crack his back, and he would command that they crack his back by going, therapize me. Uh, so at least therapize <laughs> is a word in my life. Is, uh, uh, is this you? Were you the bully? No, is that what no, the story no, no. is? No, I love this guy. We worked on staff together a couple of times when I was a camp counselor as well so shout out to ben amsterdam if he is listening right now amsterdam. Uh, 
but we can move on from that and to hope as well. I believe she listens as well. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know. I think for, for Lori, it's understandable, right? I mean, the exact thing that, and the, the woman's name is Natalie gold is the name of the actress who played this unnamed character. As far as I can tell, uh, who's in that first scene of the leftovers. If you don't remember, uh, though, how could you forget, you know, she is the person who we figure out what's going on with the departure kind of through her eyes. She has her baby in the back seat and then the baby is gone. Um, so, you know, we have Lori essentially had the same exact thing happen to her, except instead of a baby disappearing out of the back of her car, baby disappeared from her womb. Yeah. Um, you know, talk about being like permanently, you know, somewhat empty inside, like literally physically from a moment like that. I don't know. Um, you know, part of this, Part of kind of like the trauma of this episode of like reeling from certified and reeling from what Lori does to me, and this was something I brought up with Amy Brenneman, was like I never really ever felt like this was on the table. Uh, you know, I always, you know, we, we've talked about Lori's rage. We've talked about the fact that Lori is somebody who, you know, we've seen Lori do rageful things. We've seen her do antagonistic things. She's always had fire in her, but I don't know that I ever picked up on like this level of self-destructiveness and i think you know even you know right up to the to the end even having that first scene and even having the theme as you do uh it's still just like so jarring in the end that this is what she does and i don't know i'm still processing like the why of it i don't know that i've got a good answer I'm not sure that there is a great answer. I think the part of the reason and that's that kind it, of part of it, right? Well, I was going to say part of the reason that it happened is that there isn't a great answer. That yeah. there is a lot of unknown. And when we talk about man of science versus man of faith, part of the reason we didn't see this coming with Lori Garvey is because she's pushed back against so much of the nonsense and so much of the so much of the mumbo jumbo and the religious aspects and all of that. We talk. We see her talking with John in this episode when John is coming clean about his beliefs about Evie saying basically I couldn't tell you this because Lori is a scientist she's a doctor she is somebody who practices medicine she is a healer in many ways and yet she is a person who doesn't have the answers herself so she probably feels like a fraud on some level I do think when the lady is telling her losing her baby was such a horrible thing it is striking a chord there I thought it was funny that the lady said like well maybe the people are going to come back to the exact spot where they left and Lori Garvey's probably thinking to herself I do not want that to happen <laughs> like please yeah. do not do that like I don't want to all of a sudden to be pregnant again out of nowhere that would be very weird and I wouldn't want to give birth to that devil baby and I do think that 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 made me laugh but there is this element where for a person who has relied on science, who has relied on training, who has relied on medicine, things that are verifiable with a scientific method and things that are true. And yet she's also a therapist where that immediately goes into a gray area and it does start to implicate a lot of what she's bringing to the table when she's giving advice or when she's giving perspective. We saw her do a great job with Kevin earlier this season. She talked him out of a psychotic break. She talked him out of a psychotic break from thousands of miles away. But there are a lot of things that probably have not made sense to her throughout. Uh, we know for a fact that she got driven to the guilty remnant when in season two, she was trying to combat the guilty remnant. We saw her doing the wrong thing and just throwing people back into their lives. And we throwing. saw we saw that that yeah throwing people back into their lives. And we saw how that resulted. We saw a lady die. So this is a person, Lori Garvey, who has seemed like she knows the answers and has charged headlong into roles that allow her to provide that 
But throughout, maybe it's possible that she really didn't know what was going on. And the fact that she didn't know what was going on was causing her a lot of internal angst and anxiety. I think we saw a lot more of that in season one than we did in season two. But to be fair, she was in season one more. Well, what's interesting about that is in season one, she couldn't speak. Right. You know, we had very little dialogue from that character except in the penultimate episode. And it's really, you know, starting with season two where she's really, really opening up and we're starting to get more of her perspective. But the very idea of Lori Garvey is just by virtue of the fact that she can't communicate in the fast traditional way that most of these characters can uh, really kind of puts you at a distance. And like it's really impressive what she's able to do in that first season just with how expressive she is and just how incredible um, you know what you know you love your eye acting Antonio oh yeah eye acting eye acting game on fleek with with uh, Amy Brenneman as Lori Garvey in all of this show but certainly in season one Um, but just by virtue of that character and who she is in that moment she's at a distance Uh, and so that's somebody who you could who you never fully know not that like you'll ever fully know anybody, uh, let alone yourself potentially. Uh, but like, I, I, there's characters on this show that we have been able to hear their perspectives from the beginning. You really feel a sense of like you know who Kevin Garvey is in in, in you know a, in a big way. And I think from the very beginning, like you know that he's a skeptical. He thinks he's going nuts. He might be actually going nuts, or maybe he's you know actually somehow miraculous. You're with that character from the jump in a way that you were never really with Lori from the start. So who really knows what was going through her mind all this time? And it's like the kind of thing where like uh, you're you're a very empathetic dude, Antonio Mazzaro. And certainly you and I have had many off air conversations as our friendship has blossomed, where we have had moments where we've been able to give each other really solid advice. And I'm sure that you've been able to do that for many people in your life as well. But certainly and not to put the onus on you, I'll own this as well, is I will give advice to people that I think is really sound sage advice. And then like when I do like the real self analysis, I'm like, yeah, I should probably do be doing that exact thing that I'm telling somebody else to do because I'm definitely not doing it right now. It's like that kind of thing of like you you have answers. You have you have answers that would be, you know, worth applying to your own existence and yet you can't put those pieces together somehow, you know, and and sometimes it just doesn't all coalesce. And I think that this is like the really grand dark final version of that kind of thing right where her job is to therapize people therapize me her job is to is to comfort people and and walk them through the darkness of their life and show them the light that is what she is a a paid professional to do Uh, and you can make the jokes about the fact that maybe her track record isn't so good but that is her profession that is what she's uh what she's chosen to do with her life and ultimately as we see in this episode maybe she's somebody who just who couldn't follow that same road that she is able to you know put on blast for people well, and I, listen, if we, I think that that's a really valid observation. And I think that that plays out over the course of this episode, especially a ton. I think we saw a lot of that in season two, where she was giving people the answers that she thought that she needed in terms of leaving the guilty remnant and having another place they could go and feeling safe and all of that. But she really wasn't giving them what they thought they needed or wanted, which was the Holy Wayne, Tommy aspect of it. And we see now that she's doing that to an extent with John, right, where there's the psychic therapy, as it were. She's providing people closure. She's providing people, quote unquote, answers so that they'll feel better and that that is perhaps a successful venture in the way that they're doing it. So we've seen her do well in certain aspects of this, especially with identifying that the help is needed. As I said, she was great with Kevin when he was in the midst of a psychotic break. And yet 
it did feel like everything that you're saying, which is that she had the ability to provide this information to others, but maybe not to take it in herself or to find herself in a position where she understood the kind of help that she needed. What I think is fascinating, and I'm interested to know your mileage on, is if we had done, let's say, in the recap, if you had told me after last episode, there's going to be a suicide in episode six. Suicide. Yeah. But a bye-bye. I would have said, I, let's do a suicide draft. Lori Garvey. <laughs> oh, God. Lori so Garvey. Dark. Yes, yes, which is also known as uh, uh, what the New York Jets do every season. Uh, uh, Lori Garvey. Sorry, Rob Sesternino. Lori Garvey would not have been in the top 10, right? Like, she probably would have been at the bottom of that top 10 if she was in it at all. And yet, do you, so do you feel like by the end of this episode that we got to a place where it made sense? Yeah, I mean, I think she would have gone undrafted. First of all, the draft would not have existed because that's like even tasteless by my standards. I agree completely. Right, it would have existed <laughs> yeah. in my head. We're doing, we're gonna do it now, kind of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we're kind of doing this, but this is all hypothetical now. Uh, like, she would not, she probably would not have been on the board. Um, I'm trying to think of like who is the character who like I feel is like at that place. Like, honestly, Matt leaving, you know, last week's episode yep. is somebody that I could have seen that. Nora way. Durst is possible. Kevin is possible. Senior, yeah. But yeah. After, after, just through everything. Through every right. through every point we've gotten to at this point, I would have said I would have said John before Laurie. I would have said, you know, I would have said Grace Playford before Laurie. I would have said Senior. I would have said Junior. I wouldn't have said Michael. But it's that level of like that's the end of the rope. I would not have put Laurie. And I don't mean that. Oh my gosh, yeah, we have to we have to get out of this. We're really hung up. But uh, but I would say ultimately that by the end of the episode, I I understood it. I and I think that's the power of these character centric episodes. But I I feel like by the end of the episode, I understood that she was perhaps as serene and as clear in her thinking as she had ever been on this show, even though her thinking left her in a pretty existential or uh, cynical or dark or nihilistic place. It was certainly a moment of clarity. She certainly reached a level of clarity in her thinking during the course of this episode. And I think in large part due to her conversations with Nora in that van, really. Yeah. Well, I, I, you know, again, so I interviewed Amy Brenneman about this episode and I got to ask her what she thought. Like, I, I literally asked her, why do you think Lori does what she does at the end of the episode? Why do you feel she throws herself into the middle of the bay? And I write in the transcription, very long pause, then quietly, because I felt like that was important to convey how she delivered this answer. When I say very long pause, she took about 10 seconds to like even say anything. It was like a very kind of uncomfortable silence because she was really clearly chewing on it because this show clearly means a lot to her as well. She's played this character magnificently over three seasons, and this is the way it ends for her. So she really has to process it. And I don't know that she has like a great answer for it, or at least an answer that you could really fully, you know, firmly, definitively hang your hat on. She has an interpretation. She finally came out with it. And when she was saying it, like it really felt like she was on the cusp of tears as well. It was very, very powerful. She said, I think her work is done, maybe. I don't know. Her work for herself and her work for others, I don't entirely know. Uh, she says that call that's so heartbreaking from her kids as a mom that was very easy for me to tap into. You hear your adult children are in a happy space and they're close. I guess on one hand, that would keep you in the world. But on another hand, it would be like, that's all. Like, that's all you need. Um, so I don't know that she has a real explanation for why Lori did what she did. But I think that that's kind of the point that I'm driving at is I think that if you're if you're going to tell a story in this world about suicide and you're going to tell that story through a really you know serious main character on the show, 
I think Laurie is a really interesting candidate for that because it does it does come so far out of left field. And in, in like the, the cases of, of, of suicides that I've had in like my life and people who who are suddenly gone, that that almost always has felt like the case uh, of like, I had no idea right. that this person was going through something like that. Right. And it, 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 that's like one of the many reasons why something like that is so heartbreaking and I think that that's why this is so heartbreaking. It's like I had no idea she was really suffering that way. Um, so I don't have an explanation for it. But I think that that's part of the power of, of something like this is like, holy crap, I had no idea. Yeah, I think that that's a that's a really it's a really powerful way to look at it in that in that those stories don't often make sense or that they, they sometimes come from people that, oh, well, I thought they were joking a lot. Like, oh, they mentioned it. Uh, but then I really thought that they they were OK or they were fine. And you just don't know ultimately what the how to spell it all out. You really don't know because it is such a. A difficult thing, and I don't know that this episode fully spelled out what her motivations were. I do think that they left it intentionally so that you could read into it. I think that that's part of your interview as well, where that's discussed, and that she feels like that is a part of what this show does, in that they're presenting things, and they're asking you to to read your own interpretations into some aspects of that. And that can play out with regard to Kevinism, Kevin Garvey, how that all plays out through that lens or, or whatever we're evaluating with that. It certainly plays out through what we're doing in our podcast, talking about what we think character motivations are, what we think the characters might do. But you're right. It makes sense that if you're going to tell a suicide story, a, probably a powerful one to tell in this way is the story of a person who seemingly had it all going, who seemingly had it all together, who was in in terms of their abilities, successful or able to do their job in a way that was meaningful to people like Kevin when she talks him out of his psychotic break, and yet they couldn't do it for themselves, like you talk about with our friendship, or just the ability for people to say to see the forest and the trees, except for when they're in it. Then they only see the trees. They don't think of the forest. And so that is uh, that's the Lori Garvey thing, is that, yes, yeah, she killed herself, and maybe she didn't have to. Like, she had happy kids. She had a good relationship, it seemed like, with John. Like, there are a million reasons why Lori should have kept it together, and yet I feel like when she leaves Kevin, her mind is made up. This is happening. And I say that because she leaves Kevin with the very lighter that she wouldn't let Nora take earlier. So I don't know if it's because it's the quote-unquote end of the world, if she's got some of that kind of panic going on, if there is a bigger mental issue, or if this is something that has been brewing for seven years since we saw her try to kill herself at the beginning of this episode seven years before. Or not seven years before, but at least, what, like four or five years before. So it is... Um, it is really in a in a difficult. Uh, it puts her in a difficult position, uh, and I think that that's uh, I think that that's fascinating because this is a person who does seem to have it all together, and yet this is something that's been going for a really long time. And it does. I think it's instructive if we go back and look at the Lori Garvey episodes of previous seasons. Even though Amy Brenneman is so good, even when she's not talking, you can read a lot of that existential panic into a lot of what she's doing. I mean, listen. To join the guilty remnant and to participate that's not in nothing. Yeah, what she participated that's... in the level, yeah, that's not nothing. So this is not a character who is walking into the show like, oh my god, she's great. She's got it all together. It's just by comparison to these other crazy people that she seems like she has it all together. But the reality is she's never had it all together. And I think we established that from the beginning of this episode in a way we hadn't seen on the show so far. Uh, it was really... Uh... 
it was tough. It was a tough episode of a show that can often be very difficult to watch. This was really hard. Um, you know, just everything involved with it was just very, very difficult. That first scene was uh, so magnificently constructed. And uh, uh, Amy Brenneman told a cool story about that in the interview, that that was the backstory that she and Lindelof had developed for Lori years and years and years ago. Like she needed to justify, like, how does this, you know, working alpha mom go from, you know, being, you know, a, a, a career woman, being somebody who has a great family, has an incredible life to being part of the guilty remnant. Like, what's the leap? She needed to understand that. And so they came up with this idea of, you know, she had like this one day in like her therapy session where she was very close to taking herself out of the equation. Her justification for that is literally like, I'm not able to give people advice. I might cause them to do harm. I'm causing harm. I should just remove myself from the situation, which is a very extreme way to remove yourself from the profession. Uh, but that that's sort of the backstory that they had had for that. Uh, so it was the realization of this origin story that had been theoretical and conversational and had been, you know, background fuel for Amy Brenneman's performance of this character to be able to play that out must have been really cathartic and 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 kind of wild. And it was certainly certainly insane to watch like the like the the puking up of the of the pills and everything like I had to look away at multiple points. And then she puts on, you know, she's got the clothes on standby. Like, she's got the guilty yeah. remnant gear ready to go. So she must have been thinking about it for a minute. And these people are stationed outside of her office, too. Uh, and, like, the, you know, the surface probably for her cursory read would be, you know, they're trying to recruit my patients because I've got, you know, a practice here. And this is not a bad place to be recruiting some people who are clearly vulnerable. But it's also probably easy to forget that her you know, one of her patients is Patty, was right. Patty Levin, who was the leader of the Guilty Remnant, probably was like, yeah, we can get her, uh, you know? So, I don't know, I just, I loved how all of that added up. Like, really, really heartbreaking, but just, like, really kind of uh, very compellingly done, too. Yeah, she knew herself. She was ready to adorn accordingly. Like, there was a, there was not much of a, there was a pretty much of a through line from hearing the story with the woman, realizing that she didn't have anything to say to her because the departure was involved, and there was just no way to therapize in light of the departure, uh, but yet she had to do it. Uh, it just sounds like you went to camp with Mr. Burns, by the way, but it doesn't matter. Um, He's but definitely yeah. not Mr. Burns. <laughs> Mr. Backburns. Uh, but yeah, this is, this is something where it didn't make sense to her. She, in that moment, I think you talk of eye acting, there was a lot of quiet, silent Amy Brenneman not talking acting, similar to her guilty remnant, where she literally felt like she couldn't speak. Not that she wouldn't or was had taken a vow or it wasn't part of what she was doing. She didn't have anything to say to the lady. And I think the lack of options of something to, something to say is a great through line to the guilty remnant. And it's not something we've talked a ton about, I don't think, with the guilty remnant. That the not talking thing, maybe it's because there's nothing to say. Like, this yeah. happened. There's nothing to say about it. It, it happened. Like, we cannot process this. There, if we say it was the crazy biblical thing, that uh, it was a metaphor, or if we say it was something, or whatever we say it was, it, that's that's garbage. Like whatever we try to pretend like we know. I mean, one of the things they say is stop wasting your breath. Like you cannot explain this thing that happened. So it is a very natural through line. And a smart person would recognize that that makes her a good target. And that's without knowing her, which Patty did know her, at least on some level. And so Patty was probably able to say like, yeah, we can get her. And if you'll recall, 
the guilty remnant had dossiers on specific people they were trying to recruit. And we saw that happen with Meg, with Liv Tyler, where in season one they were specifically targeting Meg. They were specifically trying to recruit her. We also know they did that with Carrie Coon. That is something where they're showing up outside of Nora Durst's house a lot. They are sitting on her in public places trying to bring her into the fold, it seemed like. So they do target people that are specifically malleable. And I think it's fascinating that they do that in in some cases with people who are on the other side of that, perhaps suicidal, because they don't have answers. They don't have a way to talk about or explain the thing that happened. And like you're saying, for someone like Lori Garvey, that could be a major problem. And it could make her feel like her sole purpose in life to talk people through things is gone. And I think it's fascinating how we see that playing out with her psychic game with John, where they just won't talk to people about departures because it does set people off because people don't want to move on from that. And that's the fascinating part of Nora. I love that scene in this episode, right? Where Nori or where Laurie is explaining where Laurie is explaining that. And Laurie is talking about that. And Nora is in that shot. Laurie's actually out of focus. She's just delivering the words out of focus. It's Nora who's in focus. While that story about one enclosure or not one enclosure isn't playing. I love Nora's spot. Uh, response to that is I want F enclosure. Uh, and I think that that's a, that's a great, great, great scene because it does play on so much of this ethereal stuff that's in play in this series about people's ways of processing the departure and where they are ultimately seven full years later in terms of processing that. And we're seeing that play out with all of these characters. And it makes sense that Lori's journey was not complete. She was not somebody that was immune to what happened at the departure. And we never should have thought she was because she freaking joined the guilty remnant and she did all that she did in season one and what we saw of her in season two was a mess like it was a mess she didn't have any money she was lying she was trying to write an expose and a tell-all she was running people over she was running people over she her her clients were driving headlong into traffic this was not a good season for Lori garvey so in hindsight even though she would have been off the board we would have been basing that only on what we had seen from her this season and we would have been neglecting everything that came before. And I think it's wrong to do that because I, I like the idea that even the people in this world who seem to have it together are, are prone to this and have these have this weakness. And even though Lori lost a baby that I think maybe she's being honest with Kevin when she says she didn't really want the kid. We saw throughout that episode that she wasn't sure if she was going to keep the child. So I think we saw maybe that she she wasn't sure about that. So it wouldn't have bowled us over as something we would have assumed that she would have been rocked by. And yet, yeah, it seems very clearly that the departure itself, no matter her personal role, in it really did really did hit home with her. Yeah, I mean, but, you know, whether or not she wanted uh, to keep the baby, like, she literally got life zapped out of her that day. You yeah. know, like, that is exactly what happened, literally, you know. Uh, well, that's so, what would have happened if she was getting rid of it. You know, yeah, but, like, it's it's a beyond her circumstance choice. You know, it's, it's just, like, the cosmos decided that this is happening now. Uh, that's got to be, I, I can't even fathom the level of tragedy involved in that. So, is that the name of the family that uh, controls the departure, the cosmos? The Cosmos family, yeah, that's <laughs> the right. Cosmos Kramers, yeah. Were they the the family at the heart of uh, today's special, Antonio? The Cosmos family. Not that you know, I, know. I still haven't seen it. I still haven't watched it. <sighs> 
Josh. Yeah, we talked about today's special on another podcast. It was pretty funny. Once to hear upon it come a time. Out. Yeah. No, yeah. that's a different podcast. I posted yeah. recaps as well. <laughs> but Mike Bloom was involved in the conversation, I believe. <laughs> this is getting very meta. This is uh this is really very, very really uh, deep cut for you most shows recap listeners uh, who remember that podcast. So really we're mostly talking to you, Damon Lindelof and Tom Parada, who clearly listened to that podcast. <laughs> And put in a today's special reference just for Antonio and I. Yeah, that's exactly what we even talked about the theme song. Like it's it's funny how the people that make the show do, do seem to be reaching into our brains at certain times. I was driving back from seeing you and others in New York City recently, Josh, and I was listening to that Gravediggers album, and I thought to myself because I saw it had less than a million plays that song on Spotify, and literally anytime a new album drops now, you're talking tens of millions of plays on every song. So I was shocked to see it had that few plays because I thought that was a pretty pretty good album back in the day and i thought somebody's got to put this in a tv show or movie so i'm a little worried that they're literally tapping into my brain at this point uh, and i'm concerned what that means for the final two episodes by the way because there's going to be a dog apocalypse i know i'm bringing it up again i know i'm bringing it up again but there's going to be that what else are we going to have well what else is on the list oh a giant flood yeah that's going to happen like all these <laughs> things that i don't want to see are definitely an alien saucer is just going to drop down yeah. in the middle of things spiders yeah. a plague of spiders in australia yeah. huntsman flying everywhere yeah. no thanks no thanks no bueno we don't want that but yeah it is uh it's very interesting that song uh, as we said mission statement clearly it starts off with so you want to die commit suicide and all that all the lyrics of the song but what played in the credits was the very beginning of the song the first notes and everything but then for whatever reason they they right before the end of the credits they edited it and played the last 5 seconds of the song that says and we don't need to cry because we all die so they made sure to get that last part of the song in there by strictly editing the track that they were using so to make sure that last because we all die part was at the end of the credits that is not chronologically the next part of that song where they cut it off so that was a choice made to include that line because we all die and i don't know if that's a prophecy if all these characters are going to die uh we think nora durst is going to live somehow but it seems like everyone else might be on on the slab like might be potentially in line for death or Maybe. If that, or if that's a statement generally right yeah, I think I think it speaks, you know, just thinking about that, I think it speaks to something that Laurie says in the episode. Uh, you know, it's the final exchange she has with Kevin on the stoop and she's about to walk away. And we know that the next morning she is going to go on her, uh, you know, her her scuba diving expedition to who knows where. Uh, and right before she leaves, you know, Kevin says something to the effect of like, uh, is Nora gone? And Laurie says, we're all gone. You know, we're all gone. And I think that that really helps inform the choice of what Lori does here uh, is like it's really just like we're all gone in our own different ways. So I think like if the if the line is uh, you don't need to cry because we're all going to die or whatever it is, you know, I think that that kind of speaks to the same idea of like what's the what's the what's the status quo in this universe of the leftovers. And I think to certain degrees, all of our characters are so damaged and, you know, so many people are literally gone and so many people aspects of who they were before the departure are gone. And I think it's a really dark, pessimistic view that that maybe Lori has arrived at in her mind. Maybe it's a peaceful view. Um, but I, I think that it's speaking to that idea of like there are aspects of us, at least, that are just completely gone and inevitably we will go away. Uh, so I think it lines up with that to a certain extent. Yeah, it reminded uh, me of a scene in The Departed where uh, where Frank <laughs> Costello great. says, how's your mother? And the guy says, oh, I'm afraid she's on her way out. And Frank yeah. Costello says, we all are. Act accordingly. Act accordingly. That's right. That's yeah, right. The so, sudden departed. 
if we're all on our way out, like I, I understand why Kevin's willing, you know, willing to push his chips in. It seems like why seniors willing to go to these crazy lengths, why all these people are doing what they're doing. And I think we get that from senior in this episode when he basically says, well, you know, I'm going to go take this cop out into the middle of nowhere long enough that we'll have time to do what we need to do. If I get arrested because I saved the world, so be it. Like, we're all going to die if I don't. So I may as well go out guns blazing and I'll, I'll be happy to save the world if it works. So I think everybody's looking at this uh, in many ways as like, OK, we're reaching a point where it's time to just all in. It's time to push my chips in and say we're all on our way out. We may as well just go for it. And I think it's fascinating in light of that, that. Lori in this episode, she seems to try to do good for Matt, for Nora, for all these various characters, talking to them about their issues, helping them with what they're doing. She goes and talks to John. She talks to Kevin. She talks to Senior. And I think she feels like, well, there's nothing I can do to help these people. My work here is done. And my kids are fine. They're adults. They're together. They only call me when they need things they can look up on Google. All right, time for me to go. And I really feel like that's a huge part of it. Ah. Uh. Uh, brutal right, well, man brutal brutal you know, i mean look like i said not the best therapist but she still could have done a lot in this world it's really upsetting ultimately yeah. but i don't think something like that would ever not be upsetting i don't i don't yeah. know of a scenario where it's not a, i was even sad with the aaron hernandez news recently and i'm not just sad because he was a celebrity just because it's just and he was a criminal you know but it's just it's really a it's really a depressing scenario to think of life ending that way for people uh, and to realize people come to a position where they feel like they have nothing more to offer and the the really sad part of that is how hard it is to explain and we're not in a position to try to do this here but i think it's fascinating that with Lori Garvey I don't know that there is a real explanation. We just have to know that she was thinking about doing it at the beginning of the episode, literally probably somewhere in the neighborhood of at least four years ago, if not more. Uh, and and I guess, yeah, more, a little more than four years ago. And then here we are. Like, here we are, where ultimately by the end of this, she is still in that position and does it. So there's a ton else that happens in this episode that we haven't even touched on. I mean, we mentioned very quickly that Lori spent some time with Nora Durst in this episode. And as we're eulogizing Lori, and we'll continue to, certainly we've got the feedback show to, to do more of that as well and to get you guys uh, talking about it as well. Uh, but what up with Nora? Uh, like Nora really is, it, it certainly reads to me, I'm sure, uh, I, I can't imagine you have a different take, but Nora wants to go through with the machine and Lori helped her get there. Yeah, and the thing is, my take is ultimately that she wanted to do that all along. We've yeah. kind of talked about how the show has subtly cued that with uh, statements like she was ready when Lori is speaking that truth to the guy whose wife died in a coma, uh, and we're seeing it play over Nora when she's in the machine. And we've seen Nora's just complete and utter mania over what ultimately happened with the machine when she's ransack ransacking the hotel and ranting to Kevin when he shows back up about how she's going to take these people down and how could they and all of this. But I think all along, this is something that Nora Durst is, is really ready for, and she wants to talk to her kids again. And that's just not a thing. Like The idea that it's even possible is enough for her. I do think it's fascinating that she pushes back, perhaps because she's not a fan of Bruce Springsteen. She pushes back when Laurie calls it a suicide machine, but it, that's what it is, <laughs> right? Like, that is ultimately what it is. It's a suicide machine. They're not riding through any mansions of glory. Like, this is a thing that is real. But Nora Durst may have been born to run. 
yes, it's it's potentially possible that she was born to run. Like, it certainly seems like that, right? And we've seen her run on occasion. Uh, we've seen her run away from different scenarios. So she may have been born to run, uh, nor, nor to run. Uh, that's, that's, there's nothing there. No, no, no. We're trying. We're trying. Yeah, nothing there. But, uh, but ultimately, it is a situation where I feel like this has been her call all along. This is something that she's wanted to do. I think the Mark Lynn Baker story really did hit her in a way where he says, I want to take some effing control. I think that's that really is something that resonates with a person like Nora Durst, who has gone so far to take control in her life, to have people shoot her, to do the things that she's done. Throwing the rock through the window in season two is all part of that. It makes sense to me. That's the fascinating thing is, as we talked about with the, the morbid draft, like it makes total sense to me that Nora would be in this position. And you said my mileage may vary. I feel like we're on the same page about oh, this. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think we are, too. Yeah, I mean, it's it's funny. Uh, you know, Nora Durst is a very proactive character. Like, she, you know, she goes after the things that she wants. Like, she's throwing herself in the path of this thing because she wants to take some control. That being said, like, for a very proactive person, she's, like, not working on the one thing that she's really got to work on. Uh, so it's tough. It's a, it's a tough thing with her. Um, there is no way to work on that, though, right? Yeah. That's the yeah, problem. No. And I think that's what maybe that's what Lori realizes as part of their conversation. Yeah. That there is no way to fix this issue that Nora has. Like, it's not that she's per se suicidal. It's that she's been given an opportunity to do this thing. Uh, it's fascinating that that Laurie is like, oh, hire me. I'll be your I'll be your doctor so that we can preserve this confidentiality. Laurie, a big fan of Better Call Saul, from what I understand. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, this is uh, she's taking on a patient she knows to be interested in a process that will likely kill them. And I think that that's not something a doctor. Where's the hypocrite? Where's the first do no harm part of her oath? Because I just don't see that playing out with the advice she's giving any of these characters. Well, I think that for for Lori, you know, we've been talking in these past few podcasts about looking at, you know, the stages of grief um, and how to apply that to the characters on the show. And are we ultimately driving towards acceptance for many, if not all of them? And I think Lori's place of acceptance is like accepting that people have to find their respective places of acceptance and they can't be like her versions of what that acceptance ought to be. Like if she had her druthers and she could call all the shots and she could make everything happen the way that she thinks things ought to happen, then this whole crazy plan to have Kevin kill himself so that he can go talk to some dead ghosts would not happen. She would stop that from happening. But because Kevin wants to go there because that's what Kevin wants to do. And that's ultimately the point of why Lori drugs everybody so she can have this conversation with Kevin and do the gut check of like, how are you ultimately really feeling right now? And if Kevin is saying, yeah, I'm ready to do that, then I think Lori's place of acceptance is, all right, then you've got to try that out. You got to do your thing. And now I'm going to go off and do mine. Uh, and I think that extends to Nora. Certainly it's like, you know, Nora, you, you're very determined and dogged to do this thing. I'm done taking on the weight of the world. All of that. Um, so I, I get where she's coming from. I mean, not great, not great therapizing, uh, but it's, you know, it's certainly true to where she is in that moment. Um, yeah, she basically gives them all the same advice, right? She says the same thing as you're saying to all of them, which is, which is essentially like, you're so close. You have to go for the thing that you want. You have to try to do the thing that you want to do. She basically says that to John, Kevin, and Nora, uh, and uh, by, and Matt to a lesser extent. She, by inclusion, includes Matt in her statement with Matt with Nora. So she's basically telling all of these people, like, you're going to do what you want to do. She doesn't tell Matt, for example, you have to go get 
treatment right now. Right. Go try to get your cancer. She doesn't tell him that. She lets him do what he wants. And like I said, maybe not great parenting, maybe not great therapizing, but for, for, for Lori, I think that that is really resonant. And it isn't necessarily the answer that these people need to hear. It, it maybe isn't even the one they want to hear. John says, tell me I'm crazy. Lots of people in this episode basically say, tell me not to do this thing. Talk me out of it. I want you to do that. And Lori is basically saying, I'm unable to do that. And I think it's the same thing she had with, with Tommy in season two when she started having Tommy behave as Holy Wayne, she doesn't have anything to give these people. There is no answer that she can provide them oh, yeah. that's going to satisfy. Dial the clock back even further uh, in the timeline, but you know, more recently in terms of the show, is this episode right, where she right. says to, to Natalie Gold's character, yes. I don't know. Like that's, the, that's her acceptance. Her acceptance is, I don't know. I, yeah. Who am I to have the answers? I'm just Lori Garvey. But probably not, like, if you're going to be a therapist in the post-departure world, probably not the best plan to just be like, well, the inmates are running the asylum now. Crazy shit's happening in the sky, so just do whatever you want. Like, Hey, again, well, she quit, the, she quit the profession. That's so, true, except, know. yeah, that's the thing is I was wondering, as a lawyer, I was wondering, like, what are the rules for her hiring and accepting new patients in Australia for F FFS? Like, how is that even happening? And whatever. She quit the profession on her terms. She's still very clearly acting in that stead or in that role in many respects and still representing to this group that that is what John is seeking from her. That is why John was keeping what he was keeping from her. I think that's in some part what Kevin Jr. is seeking from her. And that's certainly what's going on with the conversations with Nora. And she's not providing any of it. So even in the post-departure world, even though she doesn't have an answer, the answer should be, I don't have an answer. I don't want you to die. I don't want you to kill yourself. But I understand that you are struggling and I don't have the answer for that. The answer is find something else to put your faith in. Find something else to get your realism from. I, I don't know. I just know that the answer isn't I don't have the answer, so go kill yourself. That's not what any doctor tells anybody, no matter how they square it with themselves about people needing to come to their own conclusions. I think when you're a therapist and you're in charge of people's mental and physical well-being, you don't give them information or advice that's going to likely drive them to a darker point. But again, Lori is not coming to the table a healthy person. Right. She is coming to the table a, a touched or difficult person. And that's in part, as we see in the long flashback, as you're saying, she's she herself has has really struggled and was trying to kill herself after that appointment. So she's not healthy herself. And I think we have probably put a lot of that in the back burner because we've seen all these crazier people. And by comparison, she is mentally well, but she's not mentally well. The departure, I, I've yet to see a person, Josh. Is there a Rosen Bernard in this story? Like, is there a person who are, they're okay with the departure and they're finding their happiness in the departure world? Like, who is the most well-adjusted? Is it Erica Murphy? Yeah, I think so. She is both Rose and Bernard. <laughs> I mean, I just don't know. Uh, yeah, because she's a medical professional. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> uh, no, I just don't know the answer. Like, is there a person who the departure, they feel better or they feel like they have it all worked out or they're able to no, go about their lives? Not no. really. No, not really. Not really. Not on this show. Uh, maybe we'll no. get there, but we're not we're not there right now. Tommy Garvey was out. Maybe Tommy Garvey's the guy, but we see him kind of being a jerk to Nora. But maybe that was what Nora needed to hear. Yeah, look, I mean, like Tommy and Jill both seem to be doing OK. You know, yeah, they're well, pretty for far now, away. From... But see what yeah. happens when they realize that they had the last <laughs> conversation ever with their mom and she killed that. herself anyway. 
there is this. Like, th- I was thinking about that. You know, if she's going to do the scuba diving thing, and that's stemming from her conversation with Nora earlier in the episode where Nora talks about how it would be very clean. There's like, you know, a hundred, you know, different ways that this could happen and no one would ever suspect a thing. Um, the one, like, paper trail is that she was in freaking Australia and when she's on the phone with Tommy and Jill neglects to mention that, says nothing about that. They're like, is it true? Dad's in Australia? She's like, yeah, isn't that kind of weird? Like, she never says, like, yeah, I came down here to help him and, you know, I'm kind of just, like, chilling out by myself right now. Like, I'm taking a minute. Uh, You know, it's, like, eventually that's going to add up if if Jill and Tommy survive long enough to find out what happened to their mother, like, if the world doesn't end. Uh, But maybe the world will end and they won't have to worry about that. They'll have bigger fish to fry. The world is not ending the world is not ending the world is not ending i know i know that there's like a kevin at this point is like the lone island medium like in australia like he's the guy who's going to go in and pull all these stories and the world is seemingly ending for these characters but the world is not ending sure 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 sure. the people that think the world's ending i think that there's a great metaphor for that or a great comparison for that in this episode they're the french submarine guy they're the people that think a volcano needs to be shot to kill a giant egg because a seven-headed creature is going to emerge like the world this is, is, and by the way, like I'm so furious that there weren't more people who found the leftovers and just didn't become like an enormous like Game of Thrones sized hit for HBO for so many reasons. But chief among them that they didn't have the budget to create that scene to like have the three headed dragon in the volcano getting shot with a nuclear missile. <laughs> I just uh, I think it's it's great that Matt, Matt looks at that. He hears that. And is like, well, that's crazy. Like, that was a <laughs> metaphor. <laughs> that's ridiculous. That's so funny. Yeah. yeah. What is what does Nora say? It's like only the things that like you could like realistically interpret are what you should be taking. It's like that's right. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so it's only not a metaphor when it's not ridiculous, right? That's yeah. right. That's right. That's right. But this let's is a talk, fascinating well, Matt. Yeah. Let's about, talk about. Yeah. It. We let's let's talk about Matt. So where are we with Matt right now? Matt has said, uh, "I'm sorry, I didn't put you in my effing book." He's like shit talking his own book. He's clearly not with Kevin Senior and all those guys, and he's hanging out with Nora. I still get the sense by like his defensiveness in that line that I do think that he's still a spiritual person. I still do think that he's a religious person, but I do think it seems like he has stepped away from the Kevin Jr., you know, the book of Kevin, um, or maybe just has like enough faith that that's going to work its way out the way it's going to work, and I don't need to be involved in it. Where are you with Matt? I think I'm out on Matt and Kevinism. Like, I think the talk with David Burton really did change something within him to the point where he's like, okay, I created a false messiah. Like, I created this narrative. Then I met one. I met one, and I didn't like what I met. Like, I didn't like this guy. Yeah, he struck me as resonant. Like, some of the things he said really did hit home with me in the way that Kevinism did. But at the end of the day, he was a fraud. He was a phony. He was hijacking something, and I realized how much it made me upset that that was happening. So I'm out. I'm I'm saying I'm out. Like, and, and he's I have no business in Melbourne it's telling that it seems like a choice was made when they all got to shore the choice was like while they went and found the hotel they talked to Nora Nora was like Kevin left he went to the airport so they some of the characters went to the airport to Kevin and Matt and Lori stayed behind to be with Nora Matt gave the only surviving copy at that point of the book of Kevin away and he says not only does he say apologize to senior for not putting him in the story he says apologize to junior for putting him in this yeah, yeah 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 and that's a huge deal matt is out like matt when he's given the opportunity to go back with laurie uh to do wherever they're whatever they're doing which we know is laurie going to kevin and all of that 
Matt wants to stay with Nora. Like that is not what's on the deck for Matt anymore. Matt's not in on Kevinism. Matt's not leading the case. Senior notices it. He says like Matt's not here. We're a little right. light on our apostles. Matt isn't here. Matt is out on Kevinism. Where Matt ends up, I'm not 100% sure. Let me, let me posit this to you. Is it possible that a Matt Jameson who is willing to die, who is interested in in the afterlife and spirituality, is it possible he goes into the machine and not Ooh. Yeah, that could be fun. That could be fun where it's like, well, if these people have departed and like they're wondering, you know, how to get back or they're lost themselves. Like that's something we've never really talked about is like, so let's just like follow that through for a minute. Let's say that the departed did go somewhere, that the people who who were part of that 2%, they went somewhere and they're kind of just like, where are we? What's going on? Like they're on an island in the middle of who knows where. They could use somebody to come in and help them out and like give them some spiritual guidance and everything like that. I think that that's an interesting possibility that Matt could see things that way. Especially because he's been so negative against yeah, the departed throughout. Right. And he has right. that whole thing. That being said, I don't think like that would be that would run counter to where I think we are with Matt, who I think, uh, you know, in a deleted scene from his episode last week, must have eaten a slice of humble pie. Right. Like, I think like we are we're we're with Matt where I I still feel like he's spiritual. I still think that he, you know, is walking uh, a path that he, you know, is in line with his spiritual and religious beliefs. Um, But I think that he's taking himself out of the narrative. Like, I think that he is in a place right now where he's not a applying pressure to himself to be the star of the show. It's enough to just be on stage in whatever role he's going to be in. And the way he views his role right now is like, world might be coming to an end. Certainly a moment of gravity is happening as we're on the seventh anniversary of the departure. My sister is going through some stuff. I'm going to be with my sister. Uh, So I think that that's where he is. I don't think it's like he's suddenly like an atheist. I don't think it's suddenly like he doesn't believe in any of this anymore. I really think that like his line of that's right. Like I think that that really tells you that he still believes in God. And I think that he, that that has not shaken. I think it's just the the David Burton line of, of like I was never judging you. I'm not judging you. I wasn't watching you. I'm not watching you. I think that that has really resonated with him and that that has shaken him away from being involved in all of that stuff. I think that's neat. I really like that. Uh, I think that that's a great development for the character. And I love the idea that like if Nora decides to go through, then maybe less the reason for for Matt following through would be uh, I got to save these people on the other side and more like I just want to be with my family. I just want to be with Nora. If that's what Nora is going to do, then I'm going to go do it with Nora. If anything, seeing David Burton smited by the lion, seeing that and being the man of God that he is having just read about Daniel has probably scared him to a point like, oh, God is powerful. And by the way, if you go out of your way to make up a false story about being a prophet or if you have any hand in any of that, this could be coming for you, too. God's divine justice could smite you. So maybe there's some element of that, too, because you're right. He's clearly maintaining his spirituality, which means that he could easily be assigning value to that lion attack. And if he is, I don't think he wants any part of Kevinism at this point. I and, think it killed his Messiah complex. Yeah. You know? Yeah, it killed his need to be part of that. Right. That's what got eviscerated. I don't think that his his belief in a higher power got destroyed, but I think his belief in himself being like uh an avatar of the higher power. I think that's that's what got destroyed in, in that uh in that episode. Oh yeah. He is twelve feet tall and has blue skin, is that what you mean? 
That's right. No, yeah, sorry. Uh, uh, no, the different kind of avatar. I forgot that movie ever happened. It's been so long since. Uh, uh, it's a shame T Dub will never hear this. Oh, uh, yeah. he's listening. He's always a silent witness to every conversation, just like Jesus. But yeah, uh, but Don't yeah. Start comparing T Dub to Jesus. That's a big, big mistake. I'm comparing. Uh, listen, Jesus comparisons get you smited. We've already get away seen from that. this. Is get it away smited or smote? By the way, have we talked about this? I think I we've talked know. about I'm, this. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm smiting this section of the podcast, and we're moving on. From I'm bad it. with my biblical tense. What should we talk about next? Um, well, I think I'd love to start wrapping up here. We're going to have a feedback show coming up in a little while. I think really quickly before we fully wrap, I would love to to say, like, man, I'm I feel bad for the Murphys. So do I. And they're not going to get it doesn't seem like they're not going to get their Murphy centric episode like other doesn't th- look like there's time for it. Yeah, we didn't get the Erica one. We we found that character in a good place and we thought maybe the story just didn't have room for it. But John Murphy uh, and what's that actor's name again? Can you remind me? Kevin. Kevin Carroll. Kevin, Kevin Carroll. Carroll. Same name as the guy who uh, kidnaps Terry Bauer in season one of 24. <laughs> probably the same guy uh kevin carroll is really fantastic in what he does and i love the evolution of john murphy and i wish we did have more time for it because we didn't get a john murphy episode antonio but we arguably got like a john murphy season you know like we got the murphy season last year so maybe they don't need an episode maybe it's just enough that their you know their character development is being further fleshed out in other stories well and he couldn't talk about what his biggest issue was he couldn't talk about it with the person that was most important to him in this world at this point And that's a major deal for John. We had a great scene in this episode where he does talk about it. And he basically says, if I throw out his story, that means I have to throw out mine, too. And I don't know, ultimately, that John is ready to put a lot of these things to bed. And he's hoping that there are these opportunities. And look, all he wants to say to Lori is that, tell her, tell Evie. All he wants to say to Evie is, like, tell her she was loved. Like, that's it. And for a guy with the story that we know... Which is that there was some there was some ugliness involving Virgil that John tried to kill him that John went to jail for this and that's how Evie grew up knowing that her dad tried to kill her grandfather and went to jail for it and that her grandfather did some seriously dark decrepit stuff to to put that forward I think John probably in part feels responsible for what happened with Evie like that's something where I'm surprised John is as put together as he is especially in light of where we saw him in season two and again. It really seems like Lori played a huge role in that. And I think it's great to see Lori being the person Michael calls when Michael is like, listen, I'm not really comfortable with what's going on here. You need to get here right away. Like you need to come right away. So it's not just John, but also Michael. That's why I feel bad for Michael where it's like, oh man, but like you summon you summoned Lori and then Lori did what she did. Yes, yeah. Maybe maybe you were part of this. Like that is difficult. And I can understand in the context of this episode or the context of where John Murphy is, for example, that John Murphy is willing to let Kevin go through with these things because of his own thing. That if if it weren't for John, if it weren't for Senior, if it weren't for Grace, if it weren't for the people involved, I think Kevin might still be interested in going back to the hotel. We speculated that part of why he was putting the bag on his head earlier this season, and he later confirms as he just wanted to feel something. When we see him in this episode, he says, like, I wanted to feel I, I've never felt more alive than when I was in the hotel when I was dead. And so I think that it is Kevin probably would have done these things or been interested in it to begin with. But John and what John wants, what his friend John wants, the things that John wants out of this is a huge part of why Kevin's doing this. It has to be. And for a guy like John Murphy, that's got to be pretty tough to stomach if Kevin doesn't come back. 
And so you let your friend kill himself to like pursue this crazy thing. I don't know if you ever get clarity on that as John Murphy, six years down the line, your wife has killed herself. You helped your friend kill himself. If Kevin doesn't come back, your daughter killed herself. So what is that going to do for John Murphy? Like he's going to need a therapist a lot better than Lori. If he's going to get through a lot of this. Yeah, he's going to be the guy screaming, therapize me. Yes, yeah. And uh, and it's just, I feel so bad for John Murphy. I really, 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 really do. Tough. And yeah. uh, I mean, I don't know. It's not like John's going to the hotel. He doesn't get to see Evie again. He's willing to, he, he thinks it might be crazy. Like, he's on the fence about it. And I think that that's tough. I, I just think that knowing that he's on the fence about it, knowing that it doesn't end well for Lori, knowing that it may not end well for Kevin, I just think that that's, something where if you think about the like in the way that you think about it, and I'm not going to spoil anything but in the way that you think about the aftermath of a show like Breaking Bad and you really think about any of the characters that live what their life's actually going to be like what John Murphy's life is actually going to be like even if Kevin comes back and says I told Evie it ain't going to be great man it's not going to be great like this is not a solution and it's fascinating because it sounds like John needs the same solution that he's providing to other people all he needs is some medium to say tell your dead loved one that they were loved that's all he wants can't somebody just take his handprint yeah <laughs> no that guy's out of business Eddie Winslow is MIA in this final season so. yes his wins are very low Yes, his wins are super low. Uh, on that note, I think let's start closing out the podcast here. Uh, unannounced at the start of the podcast, but I am podcasting from Los Angeles this week at my good friend Kevin Mahadeo's house, who uh, you have heard Kevin on podcasts here on Post Show Recaps if you have listened to any of our Marvel Netflix coverage in the past. And you've also heard Kevin's dog in the past in podcasts Gus. as well. You've heard Gus before. And Gus is starting to some dog apocalypse action happening over here. So I think now is an appropriate time to start uh to start wrapping up oh no um, but we're gonna have we're gonna have a chance to talk more in just a few days uh we will we will get to all of your comments your questions in our feedback show coming up so just to set that up one more time several ways to get your feedback into us postshowrecaps.com slash feedback is our feedback form you can email us leftovers at postshowrecaps.com you can tweet at us antonio is at ac mazzaro I am at Round Howard. You can leave comments on our website at postshowrecaps.com. We will have the great Alex Kidwell. We'll be collecting all of your feedback, and we will record that either on Thursday or Friday of this week. So we are not done talking about this episode. We're just done talking about it for right now. Yeah, and I haven't emptied my notebook, but we'll hit a lot of this on the feedback show. I think it's great that Lori said Kevin will come back. He always does. Uh, this is a shout-out to Season 2. It is a premonition, perhaps, of what we're going to see next episode. I think there are a lot of little nuggets in this episode that I can't wait to break down on a feedback show very curious how this all played for you guys uh, besides depressing uh, if you felt it was earned if it, you felt it didn't make sense but it makes sense that it didn't make sense who you think is getting in this machine uh, is it Nora is it Matt is it neither uh, who's going to end up at the hotel we're going to get into all the speculating on that feedback show so I've got a lot of notes related to that speculation and we'll definitely we'll definitely break that down uh, and and we'll just uh, Josh I know I know a good feedback show when I see one just like Lori knows somebody who's suicidal when she sees it. So I think there's a lot of potential for us to do a lot of theorizing on this one. And it'll be immediately, it'll be immediately uh, within like the shelf life on that is like two or three days. So we're excited to get that out uh, to build up the anticipation for next episode where it sure seems like we might be going back to the hotel. 
So there's plenty of other action going on in post-show recaps as well. Uh, Mike Bloom and Rich Tackenberg, they just finished up their SNL uh, season re- uh, recaps. That's done. You've got some Better Call Saul action coming up here pretty soon, Antonio. Yeah, and uh, Rob and Akiva Winokur are still talking about Seinfeld. They're on the final season of Seinfeld. Speaking of unsatisfying uh, or difficult <laughs> conclusions, they're, uh, they're, they're charging headlong into that. I can't wait to hear them talk about Puerto Rican Day. Uh, so they're doing that week by week if you haven't listened to those recaps too late to get on board apparently they banned new listeners but that's all part of it that's fun uh well there may or may not be another podcast that might just suddenly appear uh on may 23rd on posher recaps if you are subscribed to the right feed uh if you're not subscribed to the right feed you might be a little lost with this uh with this reference Uh, may 23rd number 23 is that significant in any way well that is a significant number that is a significant number but may 23rd uh 2007 is also a very significant date for a certain show so there may or may not be a thing may or may not be a thing Emphasis on a single, non, non-recurring, non-committal <laughs> thing. There may be one thing that is dropping in the very near future, so keep an ear out for that. Uh, anything else, Antonio? No, that's it. Like I said, can't wait to get into the full-on speculation. We, uh, we avoided some of that to pay proper deference to everything that happened with Lori Garvey in this episode. But we're certainly looking forward to the speculation. Like, why is Norda's uterus hurting? That's a burning question that we have to answer in our feedback Ouch. show. Yeah, literally burning. Uh, oh, all right. All right. We're done. That's the note. That's how we're going to Is there a hashtag? Thing. Like, we can't oh, use burning hashtag. uterus. Like, that's no. out. <laughs> <laughs> oh god that's terrible uh i don't know you had uh, uh mr backburns earlier was pretty funny mr backburns yeah uh today's special is in play i just use whatever hashtag you want come up with sure. one and send it to sure, us sure 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 all right well we'll talk to you guys again in just a few days get your feedback in and we will be back with another podcast about certified in just a few days take care everybody goodbye